to welcome everyone who is watching on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, or listening on podcast. You're very welcome. And anyone who's upstairs watching in the overflow on the screen, welcome to you as well. When I was 25, I was a different person to when I was 15. I was the same, but I was different in other ways. And when you're 35 and you look back at when you're 20, it's kind of a new you as well. And it goes on through life and the longer you live, the more you realize that you tweak, you hone, you change what's really important. Your priorities, your interests, your view of the world, it begins to change. So every human being changes to some degree through life. Would you think that's a fair point? Yes. Yeah, that, that's just life. So we, we more or less agree that human beings change through life. But God has instituted a change that changes us spiritually as well. And right from the beginning of time, God set this as a pattern, as a template for every human being to come and have a rebirth. A spiritual birth, if you will. So today, we're looking at the new you. We've got 19 people getting baptized. Who say hallelujah? Hallelujah! Praise God. We obviously had a similar number uh, in the springtime in April. And praise God, people talk about faith is dying. No, it's not. Faith is growing all over Ireland. It's just people might know about communities like this, but it's growing all over Ireland and all over the world. They reckon by 2030, our kind of faith, these kind of churches, are going to hit 1 billion people on the planet. Right now it's about 700, 750 million all over the world. So God is doing something great across the land, but it begins with us as individuals. And I want to look today at the new you and see how God has called us to be open to change. And so that's what I'm going to look at. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, your word, the Bible, would feed our souls. Whatever is from you, let it take root. Whatever is out of my head, let it disappear. We want to be fed by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Last week, um, you can check it out if you want on all our platforms, I was talking about a thing called Arriving in Arabia. One of the great heroes of the Bible, Paul, the New Testament, spent time there for a reason. And it was kind of a wilderness for him, where he really changed. But what was going on? A man called Saul became Paul. So... Paul, in the, in the early Christian church, when you became a Christian, the other Christians gave you a new name. And Paul means humble. Now this guy was a bit like an ISIS terrorist today, or an Al-Qaeda terrorist. He was really heavy. But he went from being obnoxious to being a humble man. And so they gave him a new name. I wonder if you were talking with your friends or family who, who love God, what would your new name be? Because they did that in the Christian church and it really symbolized something new in you, something that was really attractive in you that came in to your personality because the Lord was in your life. And Paul, he was Saul, he became Paul, and it all began on the road to Damascus 
when we're told Jesus called him by his name. Galatians 1, 15. Jesus called me by my name. And we know on the road to Damascus, God or Jesus called out to him, Saul, Saul. And do you know, he still calls us by name. Amen. We'll say amen. amen. Now, if you've got a very common name like me, Tom, like Tom, Dick, and Harry, wouldn't you? I'm the only Tom in the church. Hey, baby. <laughs> I don't know that there's any other Tom. Maybe I, no, I don't think so. So anyway, I'm not that common, really. I'm very, very special. But whatever your name is, the Lord calls you individually. If you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would have died for you. Amen. That's how up close and personal the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So Paul changes. The thing is, when we change, we very often find ourselves in between two things. We've our old circle of friends, and we have yet to connect with the new circle of friends. If you're a Christian and you move to Cork from another country, it's almost like you're starting all over again. Because you don't know a lot of people here and you're trying to find yourself spiritually here and you find that you've got to establish yourself again. It's almost like you're in between as well. Or maybe you did love God one time and you wandered off or you lost your way and you're coming back and it's almost like you're starting all over again. So Paul had his old tribe. They were Pharisees. They were extreme, legalistic, hard Jews. A bit like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or one of those today. And this is who he was. And they were the people he hung around with. They were the people he drew his inspiration from. He lived like them. We saw that last week. But when he became a Christian, something happened. We're told in Acts 9, 20 to 23, Paul spent time with the Christians in Damascus, that's in Arabia back then. And then he began to publicly preach or share that Jesus is the Son of God. And as Paul grew more and more powerful, the Jews got angry. So they decided to kill him. And so here we see a dynamic that when we change, when we move from the old circle of friends, and we change because Jesus Christ is in our lives, sometimes we find bridges start getting burned. We've a bunch of teenagers getting baptized today, and we've people of all ages, right throughout the generations. But sometimes you find people in your life aren't happy with your decision. They don't like it. And I've seen this over 40, Three years, 43 years, I've been a born-again Christian. And I've seen this all over the years. And I've seen when people make a decision of faith, someone that was in their life or is in their life isn't happy about it. And, and suddenly maybe a friendship breaks up. And something that really annoys me is sometimes people go, oh, the Christians are breaking up friendships. The problem is, though, I'm asking a question, who is rejecting who? Because in my experience, nine out of ten times, it's not the Christian rejecting anyone, it's the other person who just can't accept God's doing something wonderful in their lives. Maybe they're threatened by it, maybe they don't understand it, maybe it's fear of the unknown, I don't know. There are occasions when it's wise, 
I remember a guy who came from an addiction background years ago, and his old best friend would constantly try and encourage him, drag him back into uh, substance abuse. Of course you gotta separate from someone like that. Or I remember a girl in a relationship and her partner was violent and he became more violent after she became a Christian. Of course you can't separate yourself from that. But overall, Christians don't tend to burn bridges. We build bridges. Who agrees with that? Yeah. We love God. If you love God, you love people. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. And so who's rejecting who? Paul wasn't rejecting the Jews. He changed his opinion, but they didn't allow that. So that was on them. It wasn't on him. He had found faith in Jesus Christ, so they rejected him. And so Paul had to leave Damascus, and he traveled the short journey, wasn't that far, to Jerusalem because his life was in danger. Jesus said, if you're persecuted in one town, go to another. And so he obeyed that, and we read that Paul went up to Jerusalem. It's up on the hills. And Acts 9, we're going to look at a couple of verses there, as Paul came up to Jerusalem. Just before we read it, in World War I, there was a terrible war, and for about four years, the armies were in trenches in the ground, and they hardly moved. And there was a place called No Man's Land, in between the two armies. Nothing lived there. Not a tree, not a blade of grass, not a horse, not a human being. If you went in there, you most likely died. And sometimes people are in a No Man's Land when they make a decision to follow Jesus. And some people stay there because they decide to sit on the fence. And this is really dangerous. Because God doesn't want us to be in no man's land. The old tribe may have rejected you. Your old friends might want to hang out with you. You really need to connect with the Christians. Hallelujah. Because that's God's way. And if you stay in no man's land, you're not going to survive. That's why Jesus said about our faith, and he said it in... Uh, Revelation 3, to the Christians in a place called Laodicea, modern-day Turkey. You're neither hot nor cold in your faith. Oh, I wish you were one or the other. But because you're like lukewarm water, I spit you out of my mouth. It's very heavy. But you've got to know the context. The water in Laodicea, in the wells there, wasn't cold. There was, it was a volcanic area. And so the water was lukewarm, and when visitors to the town would try and get a drink from the well, they would drink hoping to have cold water in a hot climate, and they'd end up spilling it out because it was lukewarm. And so the Holy Spirit was using that cultural understanding to those Christians to say, don't be lukewarm in your faith. You're better off cold, because then no one's confused. But really, he wants you and me to be on fire for him. Why? so that it will go well with you, so that it will be good with you. Why is it that the World Health Organization have come up with so many reports that say people of faith live the longest? Look it up, don't believe me, look it up. There are so many reports, so many things that faith communities do that are good for your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, and your spiritual health. One of those things is singing together publicly. I don't like singing. Start singing. <laughs> You'll live longer. You'll have a better health. Good for the head. Good for the heart. Good for the body. 
you don't have to have a great voice. The first Christian meeting I went to, I sat next to a girl, and it was only a small group of about 12 people. She sang like a crow. <laughs> she did, God bless her. She couldn't sing, it was dreadful on one level. I tell you something though, I knew she was singing from her heart. I knew it was sincere. And even though she couldn't sing, I was blessed. And I said, these are genuine people. Where can you go where someone can sing like a crow? Sing from her heart and people are encouraged. Hallelujah. So you might be the next worship leader, but you can sing your heart out, baby. Hallelujah. So let's look at this. Don't get caught in no man's land. So Paul goes to Jerusalem and we read when he arrived there. He tried to join with the local church, but they were afraid of him. They didn't believe he was really a Christian. But Barnabas came alongside him, took him to the apostles. He shared with them how Paul had seen and heard the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he shared how Paul had spoken publicly and about Jesus all over Damascus. And so Paul began to be part of the church at Jerusalem. And then he started sharing his faith among the Greek-speaking Jews. So Paul goes to Jerusalem and the first thing he does, he arrives in Jerusalem, he tried to join with the local church. you got to remember that not that long ago, the apostles, the leaders there, had seen the same man murder some people in their family who were Christians. They had seen him murder some of their friends. Let's say your husband or wife was murdered by someone in Cork who hated Christians, or your best friend. And then shortly after, they come into the church here and they go, praise ye the Lord. Are you going to hang out with them? Are you going to say, come on in, come on in? Of course you're going to be suspicious. Of course you're not going to be sure. This is an extreme example, but I'm using it to make the point. If you're new here in your faith, if you're new here because you've moved from another country, if you found your way back to God after a season in the wilderness, you might be new here and it might take a bit of time to establish the connection and establish that you're genuine. Paul was willing to do it. He tried to join the church. And you may say, ah, oh, well, he was already part of the worldwide church. That's true. The worldwide universal church. When we are born again, we are part of that church automatically. That's worldwide. <coughs> but that's only half the story. You work out your faith. You are nourished. You are cared for. You are looked after. You can find your gifting in the local church. And Paul knew, yes, he was part of the universal church, but he had to connect with a local church. And that's what God has called you and me to do. Yeah. He's called every Christian on the planet to do. Connect with a local church. Yes, you keep your individuality. Yes, you're not a robot or a clone. The best example I saw, I remember I was a Christian not even a year. I went over to England in 1981 to a conference. There must have been, I don't know, 20,000 people there. And someone started singing without any musical instruments. And thousands started singing in different harmonies. I thought it was like the angels in heaven. Never forget it. They all sang in harmony. They were singing in a different note, but it made perfect sense. And that's a bit like the Christian church. It's like we're different 
but we share the same blood. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Paul knew he had to join them, but of course they were afraid of him. They didn't really believe he was a Christian. And maybe you're new here and you're finding it difficult. Maybe you're a shy person. That's okay. Many, actually, most people are shy. It's okay if you're shy. Could you say amen to that? Yeah. Uh, uh, give them a bit of encouragement. Is it okay to be shy? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. You don't have to be something you're not. You need to connect, and maybe it's just difficult for you. But, you know, hang around a bit. You'll find your feet. They didn't believe he was a Christian. You know what God does in that situation? He raises someone up. Maybe someone you don't even know. We're told a man called Barnabas came alongside Paul, took him up to the apostles, shared how Paul had both seen and heard the Lord on the road to Damascus. So Barnabas, his name used to be Joseph. He came from the island of Cyprus. And when he became a Christian, like everyone else, they said, you're not Joseph anymore. We're going to call you Barnabas. And it means son of encouragement. You're an encourager. You're someone who encourages people. Why? Because Barnabas brought a blessing. And every Christian church, every community in the world needs a couple of Barnabas people. You need people who are outgoing, who are warm, who are maybe a little bit zany at times. Isn't that right, Michael? Yes. Amen. <laughs> If you're married to someone like that, if you're friends with someone like that, and that's not you, give them space to be who God has made them to be. Amen. Amen? Because if it wasn't for Barnabas, where would Paul have been? Would he ever have been the great man of God that was part of his destiny? God raised up Barnabas. He was a, build, a bridge builder. He built a bridge for, between Paul and the Christian church. And we... Those of us who may have this calling, not everyone will be called to do it, but those of us who know this is in our souls, you build a bridge, you try and bring people in, you try and connect people. It's life-giving, it's a blessing. When I was a child, there was a program on TV, a really cheesy American program, and it was called The Brady Bunch. Anyone remember The Brady Bunch? You're showing your age if you remember it. I think there was five kids and it was about all their adventures or something as a family. The Brady Bunch, we need the Barnabas Bunch. The church here needs the Barnabas Bunch. Not everyone is called, and if the church was full of Barnabases, we'd all go off our heads. But we need a scattering of Barnabases. And that was the blessing for Paul. I love what the great pastor and author Rick Warren, brilliant writer, great pastor, out in California, he said as Christians, we're called not just to believe, but also to belong. Who agrees with that? Amen. Can you say amen out loud? Amen. We were never meant to live lone ranger lives. Instead, we're called to be part of the family of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are part of the family of Jesus Christ. We love him, we follow him, We've loads of faults, we do loads of things wrong, but I know that we're for him. And you know what? He's for us. And he's for everyone who loves him. So what was happening? Paul was like a jigsaw piece fitting in. Each of the 19 people were getting baptized. It's like God's hands are on your life. And I was baptized as well. Most of us here were. It's like God 
is just fitting you in somewhere where you can be blessed and you can also be a blessing. Amen. To be blessed and to be a blessing. Amen. It's like a life-giving, virtuous circle. The more you bless others, the more you're blessed yourself. And that's why life is hard out there. That's why God has raised up communities that are life-giving like this. We're not the only one. There's loads around. But God has raised places like this up so that you can come in and you can have life. And you can build up, charge your battery, have hope, have healing. Hallelujah. And know that God is for you and not against you. What happened? Paul began to be a part of the church at Jerusalem. And he started sharing his faith. So remember he had the old tribe. Some of you have the old circle of friends. And maybe they're rejecting you. And then he found himself kind of in a no man's land. And he knew it wasn't a good place. And if that's you, don't stay there. Because the chances are one or the other bullets will hit you. And then he tries to join with the new tribe. And initially there was a little bit of waiting. But he kept faithful. And then he fitted in. So he found his new tribe. All of you getting baptized, can I submit to you? Can I suggest to you? God has given you a new tribe. Amen. We live in a world that is so individualistic now. Listen, I'm all for individualism. I love my own choice. I love my own space, of course. But our society, Irish culture today, Cork culture, Western culture, has become hyper-individual. It's me, 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 me. It's the iPhone, it's the i-everything, it's just me. If I'm happy, then that's all that matters. No, you're greater than that. It's not just about you. It's about something greater than you that you have a part to play in. And the more hyper-individual the world gets, what do we see? Huge increase in addictions, huge increase in mental health problems, anxiety, suicide, depression. Why? Because you were never meant to be on your own. I've got my screens. Go away out of that. Really? A screen? You can't say a screen is better than a human being. God has called us to something greater. Screens are great, but they're not a substitute. God has called you and me to something better than that. He's called us to community. He's called us to be part of a tribe. Yes, you're an individual, but you're not a hyper-individualistic lone ranger. Because God has something more for you than that. We'll say amen. Hallelujah. It's part of the new you, the new me. You might say, ah, you're an old fella, you've been around ages. I tell you something, I tell you something, my salvation is nearer today than when I first began. Hallelujah. God isn't finished with me yet, and he's not finished with you yet. We prayed at half nine this morning, and one of our brothers, 83, did one of the prayers. And I ended up holding one of the babies who was, I don't know, six months. And I just thought, that's the way the Christian church should be, from the newborn to the elderly and everything in between. Hallelujah. Let me conclude with this. Um, during the week, I woke early, quite early, and I read a psalm, 
And I was reading uh, David in the Old Testament, and he wrote, I will awaken the dawn and sing melodies. Some of you know that sound. And David said, I woke, he was waking up early to praise God. And I knew the verse. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, on Sunday, God is going to wake up, not us, but someone we love. He's going to wake them up from their sleep. When normally they're fast asleep, God wants to wake people up. Yes. He's whispering in their ear. And we prayed at half nine this morning, God, would you wake the people we love up? Amen. Some have walked in the door this morning. We'll say hallelujah. But we've all got someone in our lives who's spiritually asleep. And because we love them, we want them to hear his voice. It's not complicated. We have no agenda. But we do. That you find Jesus. That's it. Just find Jesus. Find the life that he has for you. So we're going to pray that the new you, the new you, even if the new you is around a while, that we would pray that God would wake up the person we love. And the sleep would end. And the life would begin. We're also going to pray that every one of us here has a great sense of belonging. Because God, like Paul, wants you and me to fit in in a life-giving way that really suits who you are. We celebrate that part of being an individual, but we're called to be part of something far greater than just me and my own. Hallelujah. Band, could you come up? We're going to sing a song, then we're going to pray. This song is a beautiful modern hymn, an anthem. It's called Living Hope by a guy from England called Phil Wickham. I think it's a beautiful song. So we're going to sing it, we're going to pray, and then we're going to do, uh, introduce the people getting baptized. But let's just grab the final five minutes before we do our baptism, guys, and let's pray. Would you stand with me, please? So we're going to sing the song, and then we're going to pray. If there's someone in your life, someone you love, and they're just fast asleep to God, isn't it wonderful for God to wake them up? This week, God just woke some people up directly. We can pray that the Lord would whisper in their ear and wake them up. And then we'll pray that we will all find our place in the family of God.